welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. speaking about vision builders and last week we spoke about what Jesus' vision is for the church. Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So that was Jesus' vision. I'm going to build my church on men and women like you, starting with Peter who is a rock and then more rocks just like him, who have a revelation that Jesus is Lord. So last week we spoke about how awesome the church is. The church is God's home on earth, his temple where he wants to live, where he wants to hang out with us. Incredible. The church is his body where he works. That song says, do what you do. Is that what the words were? Come and do what you do. And I felt like the Lord said, yeah, I do what I do through you because we're the body. So if he wants to say something, he'll just often prophesy through someone. If he wants to heal someone, he'll get Linda to lay hands on them. You should get Linda to pray for you. She's got a healing anointing. So if he wants to do things, he does it through us, his body. It's our spiritual home. It's the pillar of truth. It's the bride of Christ. Church is a place where people are rescued from hell and set on their journey to heaven and transformed along the way to become holy, amazing, powerful world changers. We do not know how much we impact the world. We don't know what a, a change we have meeting as a church, but even as individuals. There is so much impact that we have all around us to the five, to one, five, ten, hundreds of people around us are impacted by us. Jesus spent time with 12 people. I was thinking about it. He had 12 people, two or three of them he was very close to. But he mainly spent time with those 12 and three. And, you know, he did a few trips around the place. Not that far from home, actually. It's a very small place, Israel. You know, mostly he was just around his own home. It's just kind of like the central coast, really. Just very small area. Occasionally a bigger trip to Jerusalem, but those 12 people transformed transformed the world. Absolute transformation. Incredible. So we have this massive impact. And so this week I want to keep talking about the church and I want to look at the vision of this church, not just in its entirety, but I want to sort of go inside the church and talk about the culture of church and the culture that Jesus wants us to have And what it is, it's a relational culture. That's the culture of church. It's a culture of love. It's a culture of loving one another. So it's not essentially organisational. We do organise and organisation is good. But it's not essentially organisational, just as your family is not essentially organisational. You know, you remember Sound of Music and and then the the silly dad had the whistle like... And everyone had to stand in order and, you know, be all organised. And who, who's watched the movie Sound of Music? Thank you. Just making sure you're with me here. If you haven't watched the movie, you really should watch the movie. You've got to watch the old movies, guys. You can't watch the new ones anymore. I mean, seriously. About 
I, I can't. I, I like watching. I really enjoy the skill, the art, but I can't watch them anymore. Jesus isn't with me. He just is like, I'm not watching this. I can't watch them. So, sound of music. I can handle one little kiss. It's about that's that's pretty good, you know. So that's about that's about where I'm at. So. It's, it's a sad old thing, but anyway, watch the old movies. And yeah, Sound of Music, so he's sort of like, you know, he's trying to run his family like a military sort of set up. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Family's not organisational. Family's around love. We organise, but it's not the culture. We're not essentially structural in this church. We're not, we're not you know, it's not about status or prestige or privilege or power. We don't care about titles call me what you want I'm not I'm not offended if you don't call me pastor Ruth I don't call you sister Sarah music director Sarah who cares what your title is seriously we're not we're not structural we're not about status we're not a corporation we don't have bosses we don't boss each other around I mean we do tell each other what to do sometimes but only because we love one another and neither are we a financial organisation. We're not here to, to make money. We're not, I mean, we, we need money. Everybody needs money, you know. Everything costs money. But that's not what we're here for. I mean, well, I certainly didn't go into this job to make money. I should have stuck with law if I was going to do that, you know. <laughs> make a bit more money that way. That's not, that's not why I dropped out of my law degree, much to the horror of my parents. <laughs> I remember when Chris wanted to marry me and Chris was the same. We were both at Bible college doing, you know, not earning any money. And, and I remember my dad's comment when Chris officially went to see him to sort of say, you know, I'd like, his words were, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, Ruth and I have decided to get married and we'd like your blessing because he was scared if he actually asked, he might say no. So he didn't sort of, he framed it carefully. And my dad was like, yeah, all right, Chris, well, you know, Ruth's a very good judge of character. So, but he said... But I just, I, I just be concerned. I just don't know how you can survive off what you make. So I just don't know how you can, how you can live. <laughs> and even to this day, like for years, my parents go, I don't understand how you guys actually do it. Like, how, how do you do it? Like, I could never figure out the finances. And we're like, I don't know. It just kind of works. One time, we actually wrote down all our expenses. We did a budget, and we actually wrote them all down. And this is when, back in the 80s, when interest rates were, what were they? What did they hit? 18 percent or something. 17.5%. And we just bought a house and, oh boy, and I just had Hudson. And we wrote it down and it didn't, we, it, we, it, it, it didn't add up. We literally were earning less than we were spending. And these were essentials. And we were like, I remember Chris was like, okay, well, we didn't know what to do. We just like, okay, we'll just pray. We just pray and speak over the thing because we just, I don't, to this day, God just did something. I don't quite know how, what happened, but God provides. He's always good. So we're not a financial corporation here. We're not out to make a lot of money. We are, it's a culture of love. We are to be defined and known by our love for one another. That's what, let's look at what Jesus said. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this love, this is the defining thing. This is what says you are a disciple. Not because the church is the most beautiful, fancy church in the whole wide world. Not because we've got the, the art and the steeples and everything. That's nice. I love going to churches like that in, all around Europe. It seems to be more in Europe than here. But that's not, 
that, that doesn't define, that's not, doesn't make people get saved. Those churches are up, got hundreds of people going through them, checking out all the artwork. They're not all getting born again, are they? Because of the amazing buildings. It's no good seeing amazing buildings. We want to see people who love one another, who care, who, who, who love as Jesus loved. And how did Jesus love us? John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. For in 1 Peter, you were all like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the good shepherd and he loves us and he gives his life for us. For a whole week, I, I read that scripture a while ago and for the whole week, every time I looked at the Lord, I could just feel him saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. I'm good shepherd. All that we go through, he's a good, he's a good shepherd. And we're the sheep and he's loving us and looking after us. And he's always good. It's so important to know that because life has its ups and downs and its mysteries and its difficulties. But God is good. And no matter what we go through, his goodness is coming through that because he's looking after us. I don't, I don't know anything about raising sheep, but I do have a golden retriever. And uh, <laughs> Chris is away, so he's, I've had sort of more to do with the golden retriever than Chris in this last week because he's away. And, you know, Sonny, his name is, he's a little bit naughty. I'm really working on the training thing, but, you know, I've got a life to lead and I don't spend my whole life training the dog. So um, he's, just, he's just really, he's just disobedient. So I've taught him to come and in the garden he'll come. But you go for a walk and so I have done this recently and I know Linda very kindly took our dog for a walk when we went away. And I, did you take him for a walk too? Right, so I thought, well, I'll take him for a walk. You know, you take the dog for a walk and then you get to the park and let him off lead for a little bit because, you know, he wants to run. He's so keen and young. So I let him off the lead. And, and he just would not come back. I mean, he just doesn't come back. I just, I thought he would come back because I taught him to come back in the garden. And he was so naughty. I say, Sonny, so I get close, Sonny, come, here, come here. And he, he knew what I meant. And he'd look at me and go, Yo! and then he'd just run off. I'm like, Oh my goodness. And it just went on and on and on. And Linda had the same thing. And I'm just like, you are not, you're so naughty. And I'm like, I could be out here for hours. What am I going to do? So I, I just kept trying and trying. And every time I got near him, he'd run away. I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm getting annoyed. But I'm also like, this dog. Anyway, finally, he went, ran up to a stranger who noticed that I was having troubles. And the stranger grabbed him. And, um, and kindly gave him back to me. So the last few times I've taken him for a walk, I've put him on a lead, a nice long lead. And I'm not letting him off that lead because he doesn't know how to come to me. So I'm keeping him close. And then I was pulling the lead right in and you just sit, sit, sit. And I'm really firming up on him because he's really naughty. And, you know, God is like that. He's a good shepherd. He loves us and he does things that we don't understand. It's like, why have I got this? Why do I got this thing? Why do I have to get pulled back all the time, God? Why can't I just go out and do what I want? Why are you pulling me in? It's like, because you're naughty. You know you are. And you go running off and do stupid things. And you think, yeah, I'm so cute. I could just run off and go to this party or go to this club or do this, you know, go here or there, wherever it is that you go, maybe online or something. I don't know. And I'll be fine. It's like, no, you won't. You know, we, we need a shepherd to pull us in line sometimes because he's saying, come, come on, come close. Every morning, come close. Like, I'm busy, God. I've got things to do. So that's why sometimes he puts a lead on. 
and yank, I was yanking him back, like, come to me. And we go, I can't understand why this is happening to me. It's like, well, maybe because you need it, because he's good. So if you feel like God's yanking you a bit occasionally, like, oh, hello, maybe it's because we need it, because he's good, shepherd, and we're sometimes naughty puppies. We are, we all are sometimes. So he's yanking us back in line and it's okay. You know, Psalm 23, which we all love, like Psalm 23, ah, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's all very lovely. And it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so just think about that for a minute. A rod is something you use to beat either lions or sheep into like bang, like a little bit of discipline. And the same with a, with a, a staff. It's shaped like this, so you can get a sheep around the neck and yank them, or yank them towards you. It's not so comforting, but he's comforted by that. He's comforted to know that there is discipline. And we should be comforted to know that too. That when we're out of order, when we move out of place, when we are moving away from the Holy Spirit, whether it's watching a modern movie or having a conversation with someone that becomes, starts to become unpleasing to him, we'll feel that nudge. He will feel the pull. And we need to listen to that and be comforted that he doesn't just let us wander off. Because if you wander off, you'll end up like my dog did up in the, you know, some random stranger will pick him up and put him in the pound. And you don't want to be in the pound because that's not very pleasant. That's not, there's no family there. I don't, I don't think they feed them. I don't know. But she, anyway, he ended up in the pound, not with me this time, but another time. And, you know, there's, they're in little cages and it's concrete. And, and this is where we end up sometimes. And we go, why am I here? It's like, because you ran away. And then you end up in the pound. So don't end up in the pound. Know that he is a good shepherd and he looks after me. So his love is beautiful and wonderful and it's also comforting to know that he disciplines us and loves us and keep us, keeps us close. So he shows us how to love. He says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is a pattern for us to love one another. He shows us this love and then he says the, the, the same thing to us. 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. He says the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for us to cover and deal with our sins. So the big issue was that we were sinful, naughty, like Sonny. Sin is a tougher word, but let's use the word because it's the real word. But Jesus, deal, he dealt with it by dying on the cross and he deals with us because we don't suddenly become perfect when we become Christians. And he continually helps us and disciplines us and pulls us in. And, and, and because he's good, he's good. It's good. We, we have to be comforted and excited about his discipline. But then he calls us to do the exact same thing. He calls us to abide in his love and to fervently love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So when we talk about church and we just say, let's love one another and, you know, church is amazing and wonderful and it's so awesome and we love church and then we come here and, yes, Jesus says to love one another. That's, that's beautiful and it's great. But the reality is that just like Jesus, one of the, well, essentially the essence of Christianity was him dealing with our sin on the cross. Often when we come to church and we talk about, you know, you're going to be known by loving one another and it's all, sounds all very lovey-dovey. But the reality is when we come to church, we're just constantly dealing with people's sin. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. 
And I know Sarah's not perfect. She's nearly perfect. Linda is about the closest. I think she's, she's closer than the rest of us. She's amazing. But everyone else, we're all, we're all just dirty, rotten sinners, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, come on. Can I have an amen? Someone? Anyone? <laughs> Linda, anyway, Linda's feeling good. The rest of you aren't, but that's okay. <laughs> at, least, yeah, at least someone's going to encourage you when I finish preaching. And that was a great message today, Ruth. No, but it's true. <laughs> when, when we get to church, when we actually do life with people, it's sin is the problem. It's the same with marriage. It's like, you know, oh, I've fallen in love. They're so sweet. And then you live with them and you go, this is real, they're really annoying. There's, there's these issues. That they're not doing this. They're not doing that. It, sin becomes the issue. So you sort of think, well, I love you, but I didn't think I had to deal with all this sin. I think that's what part of the reason why so many people get divorced now because they, 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 we don't sort of learn about sin really in our society. We just learn that when you know, people make mistakes, they need education. So most of the wives I know, they marry the husband, they think, well, this guy needs some education. So away they go. Ten years of good, hard education. You need to do this, you need to do that. It doesn't seem to work because people don't change with education. People learn what they should do and then continue not to do it. It's just the nature of sin. I mean, we all know what we're supposed to do, really, don't we? Be perfect. But we don't do it. Why not? Because at the very point of decision-making, we don't feel like doing it. So we continue to sin. So I want to look at this element of love. I mean, love is a beautiful, big topic, but I just want to look at that element of love, that love covers sins, and that just as Jesus, our good shepherd, covered sins, that we need to cover one another's sins. And I came across this scripture, and it's repeated four times in the Bible. Love covers sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. He who seeks love covers sins. It's quite a common phrase in the Bible. And I want us to think about how we cover sins. And now we cover one another's sins because we love. If you try to cover your own sin, then sometimes you're just lying to yourself. It doesn't, it's not talking about covering our own sins. The, that's a lie. We have to actually confess our sins. The Bible says confess your sins to one another. So we've got to be very open about where we miss it to one another. But then the response is to cover sins. Now, of course, we've got to cover sins even when people don't confess their sins, which is very common, and deal with that. So how do we cover one another's sins? How do we love people in this particular way? First of all, we acknowledge that there is sin. We acknowledge that something's annoying us. We acknowledge it to ourselves, and we may have to acknowledge it to the other person, not necessarily, but often we might have to to say to someone, well, you know, that's upsetting me or that's hurting me. The Bible talks about being honest and talk to the person. So when we're working together in church, when you're working together in your workplaces, people, you know, people are late, people are, uh, don't do a good job, people are selfish, people are doing it for their own reasons and not for someone else's reason. People don't do their fair share. You know, I've got these people who just feel like I'm, I'm looking after the babies every week and someone else help me, you know, in church. It's, there's so many things. And we're going to have to constantly have this attitude of love. Well, I'm just going to love them. Well, I'm just going to have grace. And you can tell them to change, but it's not going to work. So we have to acknowledge what's going on to ourselves and say, look, I think, I think this is out of order really. But I love them. I cover them. I accept that this is the way it is. It's no good pretending it's not happening. It is happening. And if the person talks to you, say yes. I accept this is how this is where you're missing it. Yeah, let's let's talk about it if you can. Let's deal with it together. 
Because you, to cover sin doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist. It's like if, if someone's cold. If someone says, I'm feeling cold. You don't say, no, you're not. You're not cold. Just pretend you're not cold. It's like that's not covering sin. Covering sin says, yeah, I know. I get it. You are cold. So if someone says, I do this wrong, don't say no. I, I find this all the time. If I ever say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. People always say to me, oh, no, that wasn't so bad. And I think, yes, it was. I just told you it was bad. I don't feel good about it. My conscience is not clear. Don't tell me it's okay. It's not okay. You know, let's acknowledge what's not okay. We're going for perfection here. It's not like, oh, well, let's just put the bar down and say it's fine. No, it's not. We're going for the best. So if someone's conscience is... Is, is feeling something, acknowledge it. Say, okay, you're, you're feeling cold. You are cold. Let's not ignore it because covering is not saying you're not doing it. Covering is giving them a doona if they're cold. Acknowledge the cold and help them to deal with it. And we're all different. I mean, cold is a good example. You know, you know we all feel cold differently. Just on, the, on Tuesday, we were in the office and I noticed that Linda had her feet on the, we were sitting outside, she had her feet randomly placed on the table, the, 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 the things down the bottom of the table. And she says, yeah, I put my feet like this because they're so cold. And I'm like, you've got socks and boots on. She goes, I know, but I can still feel the cold right through the ground. I said, well, she goes, yeah, I get cold feet. And I'm like, I don't get cold feet. I never get cold feet. And just to prove it, I took my boots and my socks off and put them on the ground for quite a long period of time. I said, see, they're not even cold now. And we had a little discussion, as you know, girls do, about feet. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't get cold feet, you know. They just never get cold. They, they didn't feel cold at all. Who gets cold feet here? So you're the cold feet people. And who never gets cold feet? It's about 50-50. That's really interesting. So anyway. Um, but the point is, it's the same with sin, okay? Some of you really struggle with a particular sin because that part of your body or that part of your psyche is struggling in that area and someone else doesn't struggle at all. It's no good for me to say, well, I have superior feet. I never get cold feet. It's no good to feel superior because my thing is different from her thing. So this is where we cover things. You know, somebody might have struggled with a particular issue. You, you know, someone might struggle with smoking or with watching stuff on TV or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to go through all the list of sins. You know your sin. You know your struggle area. And, and someone else might not struggle with that. And so we cover, but we don't condemn. We don't sort of say, oh, well, you shouldn't. Just think about what you struggle with. We all have different things and we just acknowledge it and help and then just help them to deal with that without a sense of judgmentalness or, 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 or feeling better than someone. People often say, I can't believe he does that, doesn't he? And I'm thinking, what about you? What about what you do? <laughs> That's equally as bad. Or the worst of all, of course, is the self-righteous person that thinks they don't do anything wrong. That's the worst. It's like, well, I don't do that. It's like Jesus was most annoyed with the Pharisees because they, they felt like they did everything right. It's like, don't you get it? You've got the worst sin of all, pride. Because you've sort of managed to, there are some people that manage to hide every sin. There's only disciplined, self-control people. That not, not, you can't pick them. They just, everything looks great. And yet they're horrible to be with because they think they're awesome. They think they're so cool. And that's pride. That's the worst. So anyway, that's enough about that. So... Love covers sin. We cover by acknowledging and helping. We cover by turning them from sin. We cover by being honest with them. And maybe if it's serious to, to say, you need to change, we need to help you. And that's love. It doesn't feel like love when someone's telling you you're doing the wrong thing. It feels awful. But it's very loving if someone will tell you that you're sinning. We cover by forgiving. 
we just we forgive we forgive one another when when we're when we're the you know <laughs> like dale the last person standing fixing something that someone else broke that they shouldn't have been doing in the first place and you just you can you can be fixing it going stupid person why were they doing it anyway or you can just go well i just forgive them isn't that what you do dale yeah dale forgives them and we forgive you too dale <laughs> if ever we see somebody say who did that must have been dale <laughs> You know, but things get annoying. So we forgive one another. And then the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. So how good is that, that we just forget it? That there's a great scripture that Jesus, God says, he remembers our sin no more. He just forgets about them, which is an interesting facility because I know that if he needs to remember, he could, he could drag it up out of the filing cabinet, you know, but he chooses to sort of leave it away. And that's what we need to do. We need to sort of not live with the constant memory of that sin and that irritation toward whoever it is, but store it away. And if ever we need to bring it up because maybe, I don't know, for counselling purposes or some reason, it's there if you need it, but it's kind of like you've forgotten it. We have that capacity and we have to capture those thoughts. And forgiveness is really hard work. When you, if it's a big forgiveness, it, it doesn't, you know, you don't just go, okay, God, I forgive them. It can take... I mean, a couple of my biggest ones have taken years, just constant. Just every time I think about that person, it comes up again. It's like, mm, okay, I forgive them. Just over and over and over again. I say the words, I forgive you, I love you, I pray for you, and put it away again. And it comes up, no, 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 and put it away. So it can, it can take a while to, to really forgive someone, but we've just got to keep working at it because that's love. And love covers sins. And that's what we want to do here. We don't want to all be splitting up all the time and, and leaving all, you know, all the time. It's like that guy Michael was saying. He said, you know, people that stay in and stay committed and keep giving, you see the growth. And I can assure you, if you've been in this church for any amount of time, someone's probably already bugged you. And you think, oh, I'll just go to another church. But guess what? They're all going to sin in the next church as well. It just keeps happening. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> This is as good as any. Stay here and practice love and forgiveness. Praise the Lord. So love covers sins. There's grace. So grace is beautiful. Grace says, you know, I believe that you can start fresh. I believe that you can get better. Grace and hope go together. So somebody who's constantly in a, a place that's irritating or annoying us, we have hope. You know, God could move. God could change them. Something can happen. Who knows? Who knows? Keep believing for your husband or your wife. Keep having that hope. Love hopes all things. That's what it means. It means it never just goes, oh, he's useless. What's the point? He'll never change. Don't ever say that. Someone can change. Have a lovely sense of hope for them. Don't just go, well, that person's just a terrible person and I don't like them. Don't have enemies like that. Believe in them. So they could change. God could touch them. Something could happen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about everyone? That's hope and that's love covering sins. Sometimes you just completely overlook it. Sometimes you don't have to deal with it. Sometimes covering it means just forget about it. Sometimes it means not repeating it. Someone told me it was in a family situation and my experience is people always tell something, you know. Everyone tells someone. So I heard a piece of information that was really like, wow, that's that's bad that they said that. That's bad. And I was so tempted to tell this person because it involved that person and it would be like, you don't know what this one's saying about you. You know what I mean? 
And I don't want to have to carry this piece of information. I, I want to get it off my chest. But if I share it, it'll separate. It'll do damage. It'll not, there's no need. So I think, no, I just, I'll just give it to the Lord. I won't share it with anyone. I just won't share that piece of information. You don't need to. Just sometimes don't. Just, just cover. Love covers sins. So Jesus said this beautiful thing. He said, go back to this scripture. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is what the culture of our church is. This is the vision of our church. It's attractive and wonderful. It's challenging. It's exciting. This is the vision. Jesus said, I will build my church. This church is amazing. And the essence of this church and any true church is love. And when we love one another... That's the ministry that people see. That's what they are excited about. That's what they want to see. Just these people work together. These people are all different, different ages, different sizes, different everything. And yet they love one another. We forgive one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. And by this, they will know that you are my disciples. So we'll be defined by love and known by love and will grow by love. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.